was trying to do that without making a noise, and I didn't do it very well, sorry. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. One of the things, some, some of you will know this, some of you will not, but um, before I got into the Vickering game, um, I was a psychologist, and um, one of the things that I really used to like about kind of doing what I did and kind of trying to make connections between brain development and behavior and all that kind of stuff is that so often you can't start at the beginning of a problem in order to solve it. So often you have to do a little bit of what we like to call reverse processing. It's not just in psychology. I'm a little bit sad. I like maths too. It works a lot in maths. Um, Don't mock me. Um, But sometimes to get to the root of a problem, you've got to start at the end and work your way back to the beginning rather than the other way around. And uh, in tonight's uh, parable that we hear Jesus tell of the rich fool, um, it all starts with rich men standing around talking about money. Jesus comes along, he tells a parable And um, cue a sermon on generosity. Cue a sermon that says you've all got more than you need. Give some of it away. Preferably give some of it to the church. Um, And we can all go home happy. I'm not going to talk about giving money away tonight. You'll be pleased to hear. Um, (laughs) Because I just wondered. I just thought as I was reading this passage this week... What if we didn't start at the beginning with rich men talking about money? And what if we scooted right to the end and started from the end of the story and worked our way back in order to see what Jesus might have been trying to tell us? Right at the very beginning. No, not at the beginning. Oh, man. I had a nap this afternoon. This is where it went wrong. (laughs) I'm not sure I'm fully awake again yet. But no, focus. The final verse of um, of the passage says this. It says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. The idea being that the rich man is not rich towards God. He is the example that Jesus is using of do not be like this. So I wanted to think tonight a little bit about just that last question of what does it mean for us to be rich towards God? Essentially, I think it means do the opposite of the rich man. And so I've been thinking about what the rich man is like. And the rich man is self-reliant. You know, we live in a world today where our children and our young people and us as adults are constantly told the only person you need to be responsible for is you. Your future is in your hands. If you want something, all you have to do is you go out and you get it. You do you and I'll do me. And that is all it is. We are taught that the if you need something or you want something, it's up to you to go out there 
and get it. And I think the rich man is very much like this. The rich man is self-reliant. He has, we don't know the, the ins and outs of his life, but he has clearly gone out and he has, he has made money. He's rich. We know he's rich. He's got all this grain. Um, he doesn't know what to do with it. Apparently, um, it does not cross his mind in any way, shape or form to give any of this grain away. Um, his first thought is, I know what I'll do. I will build bigger barns to store it all in because if I've got bigger barns to store it all in, I'll be all right for the future. He has taken his future planning in his own hands. I don't blame him. I, I feel like I was built for retirement. <laughs> so I'm not saying, I'm not saying kind of like any kind of planning is bad, but he has taken his whole future into his hand. And I wonder whether this is why it doesn't cross his mind to give any of it away. Because why would you If you have, if you're responsible for your needs and your future and you've got all this stuff, why would you give it away? Because what if, what if you gave it away and then you needed it in the future? Then what would you do? What if you had all this stuff and you gave it away and then somebody else that you loved needed it in the future? then what would you do? Because you're responsible for providing it. You're responsible for you. And I think sometimes we all can can fall into that little, um, that sort of mindset. And it might be money or it might be stuff, whatever it is. But we kind of hang on to it. Because what if? What if I need it next week or next month? What if somebody else that I love needs it? I can't give it away because what if? What if? And it all comes because we think or we, we fall into this, um, this thought that it's up to us to provide for us. The rich man isn't rich towards God. He's rich towards himself because he feels like he has to be self-reliant. And yet, if we are rich towards God, we understand that we do not need to be self-reliant. Because we have God who will provide for all our needs. All that we need comes from God. And when all that we need comes from God, we hold on to things just a little less tightly. The rich man is self-reliant but I'm not sure it makes him that satisfied. You know, he's clearly got barns, um, because he's got barns to knock down, so he's clearly got barns and grain in them already. He has this bumper harvest, apparently, and he builds more barns. But I don't think he's content. He talks about, you know, I shall be eat, drink, and be merry. But fundamentally, the rich man is greedy here. And so I was thinking... Why are we greedy? And we're often greedy because we're not satisfied. And it might be money or it might be food or it might be whatever it is. But we have more, don't we? We kind of cram it in and we have more and we think, well, if I have more, this will make me content. 
But of course, it doesn't fulfill us or make us content. So we've got to get even more. But that doesn't make us fulfilled. And we get even more. I don't think he's satisfied. He's trying to satisfy his needs and his desires with money. But of course, that's not going to come because he doesn't understand that the only person that can truly fulfill us in this life is Jesus. If you don't believe me, go into a bookshop um, or whatever the digital equivalent of a bookshop is. I'm so sorry because <laughs> I know what I'm about to say. I go into the book, go into a bookshop, and I dare say that um, there will be a rather large collection of books on self-help. Um, I particularly dislike self-help books. Um, but more self-help books are published um, year on year than anything else. Why? Because what is our desire? Our desire is to find our own fulfillment or our own kind of whatever it is. Now, I'm not suggesting you snoop around your friends' houses, but if you know somebody that's got a self-help book, go and have a look at their bookshelf, because I bet they've got more than one. Why? Because the first one didn't work. The first one didn't work and you didn't find fulfillment and, you know, the answer to all your problems. So you go out and you buy another self-help book because we're constantly trying to fulfill a need that we can't fulfill. The rich man is rich towards himself because he is trying to fulfill all his needs on his own. When we are rich towards God, we acknowledge that all we have and all we need and all we will ever need comes from God. And that we will only truly find our self-fulfillment and our contentment in this life in the context of having a relationship with Jesus. Being rich towards God means turning our backs on self-reliance and turning towards God for all that we need. The rich man was self, uh, was what did I say? The rich man was self-reliant, but the rich man was also incredibly selfish. You know, the rich man's thoughts as he's uh, building these new barns for his his grain is his own retirement. I shall be set for the next however many years. We shall eat and be drink and be merry and all will be okay. I love this. In the four verses, excuse me, in the four verses that it talks about the rich man, he uses the word I six times. It is the ultimate me, 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 me. And if we're honest... We are all pretty good at that, aren't we? We are all fundamentally selfish. I actually think it's part of our, of our fallen nature, kind of our fallen default is to be selfish. And I think in churches, one of the worst traps that we fall into is we fall into the trap of being selfish of I want, I need, I desire. As clergy, and I'm using clergy as a, as a, um, 
as an example because that's what I live now. I'm sure this fits for lots of other places as well. But there will be emails this week and some of them will be positive. And the positive ones will say, I really appreciated that. I really liked that. I thought that was really good. And there'll be some negative ones too. And they will say, I didn't like that. I don't appreciate it when you say that. I don't want this. We're very good with the eyes. In both ways, we're very good with the eyes. And yet, that is not how we are called to be. We are called to put others' needs above our own, or at the very least, we are called to love others as we love ourselves, which means their needs and desires are equally as valid as ours. Which means we shouldn't be asking the question, what do I want? But we need to be asking the question, firstly, of course, what does God want? But secondly, what do other people need? What would somebody else appreciate? I have told this story before and I'm going to tell you again. And the reason I'm telling it to you again is because in over a decade of ministry as a vicar, this is the only example of this I've got. (laughs) I went to a church once uh, in Bristol and somebody came up to me after one of the services and um, I considered him a friend. (laughs) I don't know if I put that in in the past context. I didn't mean that. He is still a friend. Um, But he came up to me afterwards and he said, Liz, he said, ever since you've come to this church, he said, everything you've done, all the changes you made, he said, I've hated every single one of them. That's why I think it's good to say we are still friends. And, and, And I kind of took a breath. But in the breath that I took to respond to just being basically told you had ruined somebody's church going experience, he said, but... And I thought, oh, here it comes. And he said, but, he said, for the first time ever, he said, this church is now somewhere where my granddaughters want to come. And he said, and it's more important right now that my granddaughters find Jesus because I already know him. I have never come across such selflessness before or since when it comes to church life. But that's what we're called to be. The rich man is selfish. He's rich towards himself. To be rich towards God, we've got to turn away from our own selfish desires and look to serve the needs of other people. And not just in our church building, but in our communities as well. And it's not just about acknowledging the needs of others. It's about being prepared to pull up our sleeves and get our hands dirty and really serve the needs of other people. A rich man is self-reliant and he is selfish and he is short-sighted. The rich man is unable to see anything past his own lifetime. Um, 
I, I love, I, I love this little bit in the in the parable. Kind of the guy has set Jesus sets up the story. He's the guy has built new barns. He's filled them with with grain. The the red wine is being poured into the glass, ready to start his comfortable future. And Jesus just knocks down the the stack of cars and goes, Ah, but by the way, you might die tonight. And and then what good is all that stuff? The rich man was so focused on all his stuff because he didn't have a concept of a life beyond this one. If we are rich toward God, then our focus has to be, or our perspective has to be, an an eternal one. Everything that we do in this life has to be done with an eye on the next one. You see, all of us are only here because God was first rich towards us. More rich than, or richer than we can ever truly fully comprehend. That God was so rich towards us that he sent us Jesus. That God was so rich towards us that Jesus came, lived among us, died on the cross for us, rose again, and made a way for us to be reconciled with God. Made a way for you and I to live in the wonder of heaven for all eternity with God. And when we grasp that, then it changes our perspective on life. When we think about the fact that we have an eternity to spend with Jesus, then our grip on the stuff of this life is loosened beyond all other things. Because suddenly, when we look at stuff, we're not seeing stuff anymore. We recognize that actually so much of the trappings of this life are going to fade away. Because we are not focused on the trappings of this life anymore, but we are focused on the things of heaven and the things of eternity. And when we do that, then everything changes. Why is tonight not tonight not about generosity? Because I find it really interesting that actually nowhere in the parable does Jesus mention generosity at all. He could have done. He could have simply said to the guy, look, mate, you're being a bit of a div. You're not going to need all that. Give some of it away. But you see, Christianity isn't about a checklist of things to do. I could easily stand here and say, right, people. This is what we need to do in order to be good, fine, upstanding Christians. And we could have a list and we could go, go to church. Check. Give money to church. Check. Go do something nice for a poor person. Check. And we could all go home and feel really good about ourselves. Except Christianity isn't about a checklist of stuff that we should do. Christianity is about walking in relationship with God. And so Jesus doesn't say, this is what you should do. 
Because actually, you can follow a checklist and you can do all those things without being in a relationship with Jesus, without having an eternal perspective on life. But if we are rich towards God, if we recognize that all we have and all we ever need will be given to us by him, that our ultimate fulfillment comes from being in a relationship with Jesus, if we focus on the needs of others and of the things of heaven, then all the other stuff falls into place. All the other stuff about being generous and serving and all the other happens as a natural consequence of us being rich towards God. Does that make, like, am I making vague sense here? Yeah, marvellous. I don't think Jesus says, I think Jesus doesn't say, just do this. Because it's not about just doing stuff. It's about living in relationship with Jesus. And when we live in relationship with Jesus and we are rich toward him, then everything else comes as a natural consequence. You can't trust God for all that you need and not give stuff away. You can't focus on on God and want to follow his commandment to love other people and continue to be selfish. You can't focus on the things of heaven and of things of eternity and be worried about how much stuff you've got in this life. It doesn't work. Jesus simply says, or challenges us, be rich toward God. Because when we are rich toward God, we live lives that show other people not our generosity, but the generosity of God. Because the sad truth is, well, it's not sad, but the truth is our generosity is not going to change the world. Our generosity is not going to, say, is not going to change anyone's life particularly, certainly not in an eternal context. But God's generosity does. When we are rich towards God, then we give other people a glimpse of how, God, how generous our God is. We are not called to be generous for generosity's sake. We are simply called to be, <clears throat> to be generous with, with everything that God has already been generous to us with. We don't do it on our own. We do it with what God has given us because ultimately it's all God's anyway. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you. We we thank you that you are a wonderful, generous God. A God whose generosity and love towards us knows no bounds. A God whose richness and generosity towards us is beyond our human comprehension. Father, we thank you that all that we have 
is from you. Father, we thank you that you are God who is sovereign. We thank you that you are a God who holds all things in your hand. That you are a God who knows our future. And yet, Lord, even though sometimes we know these things, we still find it hard not to try to rely on our own self and our own uh, understanding and our own abilities to provide for ourselves. And so God, we want to come before you tonight and we want to ask you to help us. God, would you help us to, to be totally and utterly reliant on you? Would you help us to be people who trust you for all things and everything, in the big things and the small things? And perhaps tonight, if you're here um, and you're struggling with something where you need God to provide for you, maybe just bring that to God now. Thank you that you are a God who never lets us down. And Father, as we come before you and we want to be totally and utterly reliant on you, we ask you where there are things that we are holding on to tightly in this world. We pray that you, by your power and by the strength of your spirit, would just loosen our grip on those things. Father, would you show us the things that you want us to let go of? Lord, would you give us eyes to see the needs of others? Would you give us eyes to see people as you see them and hearts to love them as you love them? And as we seek to love them as you love them, Lord, help us to serve them in the ways that you want us to serve them. to be generous in the way that we serve others and help us to recognize that we are only in a position to be generous because of you and because of the ways in which you have been generous to us. in this world would you help us to do it with our eyes fixed on eternity may all that we do not be about us may it be about you and your kingdom God as individuals and as a church you so that others might see your richness to them that others might see the love that you have for them God as we are rich to you would your glory fall 
as we are rich to you, may you build your kingdom. 